Amen. Man, I love worshiping with my church. Well, good morning, church. For those of you who do not know me, my name is Beth Miller. I have the joy and privilege of serving on staff as one of the pastors here, and I am so happy to be able to bring God's word to you today. We are kicking off a brand new series called A Meal with Jesus, and fitting as we're heading into the Thanksgiving season, and I love food. I love food. I love cooking. I love the little dance you get when you eat something delicious. Just, yep. Well, it's interesting how, in the Gospel of Luke, how many important events in the life of Jesus happened around a dinner table, around a shared meal. Just alone in the Gospel of Luke, there are nine meals that Jesus shared with people. And so maybe my love for food in the dinner table comes from my Heavenly Father. I am my, daughter, my father's daughter. Um, but I think that that's why I also love Sundays and gathering with my church so much to open God's word. It's like family dinner time. Jesus said that he is the bread of life, and I truly believe that Jesus is the best meal that you will ever have. And he said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And I am hungry for more of Jesus. I'm hungry for his word. Are you, church? Are you? Awesome. Well, I am ready to jump into God's word. I'm going to be in Luke chapter 7, um, if you want to turn there. Um, but I'm going to pray real quick before I get into God's word. Thank you, God, for your word. I pray that it does what only your word can do. I pray that it convicts us. I pray that it shapes us and molds us more into the likeness of your son. I pray that we leave different today than when we came in. We give, these, this, we give this time to you. God, would our, our eyes be open? Would our ears be open? Would our heart be open to whatever you have to say to us today? In your name we pray, amen and amen. So um, we see throughout scripture Jesus gathering over a meal with friends and family. And oftentimes, as well in unusual settings, he would have dinners with Pharisees or other people who strongly opposed him. Um, but some of the most important things that he had ever said were around a dinner table. And in seven, chapter 7, verses 36 through 50, we're introduced to three main characters. We see a Pharisee, a sinner, and a Savior. There's three main characters today, and we have all three in the room with us today. The title of today's message is Grace and Gratitude for those of you who are taking notes, whether um, old school with a pen and paper, you're following along on our app under the sermon notes, but it's Grace and Gratitude, Luke 7, 36 through 50. Then one of the Pharisees invited him to eat with him, and he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. I love that. And a woman in the town who was a sinner found out that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house. And she brought an alabaster jar of perfume and stood behind him at his feet, weeping, and began to wash his feet with her tears. She wiped his feet with her hair, kissing them and anointing them with the perfume. And when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, this man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what kind of a woman this is who is touching him. She is a sinner. And Jesus replied to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he said, say it, teacher. A creditor had two debtors, and one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And since they could not pay it back, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? And Simon answered, I suppose the one that he forgave more. 
And you have judged correctly, he told him. Turning to the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she with her tears has washed my feet and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. And you didn't anoint my head with olive oil, but she has anointed my feet with perfume. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. And that's why she loved much. But the one who is forgiven little loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. What do we see here? This is from the book of Luke. I apologize for that. Um, This is from the book of Luke, written by Luke, who was a physician. And his writings really portray the humanity of Jesus. And I think it's important that when you pull out a section of scripture, to still read it in the context of what has been happening, what has led up to it. It really um, paints the picture. So knowing when you're reading it, you're getting a whole holistic approach to what's happening. And if you were to start at the beginning of the book of Luke, and start reading up until chapter 7, we would be reading about the Jesus and the healings at Capernaum. And then we keep on reading and we read about the time that friends brought their paralyzed friend to Jesus. You see, word was getting out about this Jesus guy and the things that he was doing. Now, at this time, people had been waiting for close to 400 years for the one that God had promised. They were waiting for him. Could this be the Savior? Could this be the Messiah? And word was getting out around about what he was doing. And and these friends were like, we have got to get you to Jesus. And they have their paralyzed friend and they bring them to Jesus. But the crowd was so thick around Jesus, they couldn't bring him in. And they were like, I've got an idea. And they brought him up to the roof of the building and ripped the roof off to bring their friend to Jesus. And Jesus performs a healing and heals the paralyzed man. Word is getting out. And then we read about when Jesus heals the centurion's servant by just the word of Jesus and the faith of the centurion. He didn't even have to go to him. It was from a distance And by the words of Jesus, he healed the centurion's servant. Could you imagine now the vibe, the tone, the feel, the anticipation in the community, the word, the buzz getting around about Jesus? And then he raises a widow's son back to life. And it says in 717 that this report about him went throughout Judea and all the vicinity. Word was getting around, and then there was a conversation about who John the Baptist is and who Jesus is, and a Pharisee named Simon invites him over for dinner. A Pharisee is a religious leader at the time, and not only did he uphold the Ten Commandments, he upheld or attempted to uphold all 613 of the Old Testament law, and and he knew a lot and was waiting for the Messiah as well, knew what to look for. And he wanted to investigate this Jesus. Word was getting out about Jesus. Some people were intrigued. Some people were angry and upset about it. And Simon is getting a little bit upset, and he wants to get to the bottom of it. So we're now coming to this dinner, okay? This, the scene is set. And when Pharisees would have a dinner over, 
would have a guest over for dinner, they were typically more wealthy, their homes looked different, and word would get out about if a Pharisee was having a special guest over for dinner. And so you might not be an invited guest, but you might be able to gather around, maybe the outside window, the windows were bigger, and you could watch, you could listen, you could lean in and see what's happening. Maybe it was more out in a courtyard. They would have these courtyard dinners. You weren't invited to come in, but you could be on the outside looking in. Did you hear Jesus is going to the Pharisee's house for dinner? I've got to get close. And Simon, the Pharisee, invites Jesus over for dinner, and I'm anticipating there's a bit of a crowd starting to gather. You're not invited guests, but they're watching and, and listening. And now I'm picturing the, the dinner itself. And there's a table. It's really low. The tables were low. Jesus is probably sitting on a pillow and leaning on his left-hand side. It was customary to not use your left hand, but you would use your right hand for the food. And so if it's low and sitting on a pillow, leaning off to the side, I'm picturing more of Jesus' feet kind of behind him. And I'm, I don't, I'm not picturing Jesus sitting crisscross applesauce at this dinner table, are you? I, I have years of kids' ministry experience, but I'm picturing him more with his feet behind him. And, and I'm picturing the sounds. There's lots of conversation happening. Is there some laughter? Are they all pointed, intense questions? There's chatter around the table, but there's also the sound and the smells of breaking bread and dishes being passed and food being scooped onto plates. And there's conversation and there's buzz. And then a woman enters the scene of this dinner party. And it's not just any woman, but she is a sinner. And in the midst of the hustle and bustle, I'm wondering what it would be like as I just read over this passage so quickly, this woman who it highlights that she didn't stand in front of Jesus, it says that she stood behind him. Not even standing in front of him, but she stood behind him. Was it instantly quiet in the room? Was there questions of who, why is she here? Was it instantly quiet or was the table still at the end? They haven't caught on to what happened and they're still chumming around and ripping bread and there's some conversation and then all of a sudden they get the memo that it's awkward and it's quiet right now and that woman is here and she's standing at the feet of Jesus and instantly it's quiet. It doesn't say that he yells at her, get out of my dining room, get out, you are not invited, it is quiet And all of a sudden now we get to hear she's standing there with her alabaster jar, this precious jar. It's expensive. Some would say that it's more than the cost of a year's salary. Some people would use it as a dowry for a woman, and it's precious. Just the jar itself you have to break in order to get to it, and you have to use it. It is expensive. It is costly, and she's standing there, and now it is silent. There are no dishes being passed, and she begins to cry. She begins to weep at the feet of Jesus, and people are watching her, and as her tears begin to fall, they're landing on the dirty feet of Jesus. It's taken note that his feet weren't washed, so they're dusty and sandy and dirty, and as her tears begin to fall, I'm assuming it now looks like they're muddy, the muddy feet of Jesus, and she falls to her feet, and she begins to, with her tears, wash the feet of Jesus and let her hair down to wipe it away, and she begins to break open the jar and pour it out, and now we don't only hear the sound of her tears and maybe the sniffle of her snot, 
Do we hear weeping and crying? Is it quiet as they're watching her? What is happening right now? But then she pours out her alabaster jar. Now we don't only smell the delicious smells of fresh baked bread and the dinner that was presented for Jesus, but we smell the perfume and it fills the space. And it's quiet. And we're clued into a comment that Simon says to himself in his head, if this man were really a prophet, he would know what type of a woman and who she is. And the one who's touching him right now, she is a sinner. And Jesus acknowledges this conversation that Simon is having in his head. And he asks him about this. Suppose that there are two people who owe a creditor a sum of money, one 500, the other 50, and he knows that they can never repay it, and he graciously forgives them of their debt. Simon, which is the one that's going to love them more? And he says, probably the one who was forgiven of more. And in verse 47, he says that her sins have been forgiven, and that's why she has loved much. But the one who is forgiven little loves little. Can you picture the story? Can you picture the scene and the context as she is at the feet of Jesus? We weigh our sins differently, don't we? Can we just be honest about that? We weigh our sins differently. There's some in the room right now that maybe you're not aware, you don't know that you're a sinner. I love that you are here right now. Maybe you're like the person in the courtyard who heard about it and wants to watch and lean in and listen. I love that you're here. There's also some people in the room who weigh the weight of their sin differently. I may lose my temper or get angry and I'm impatient with my family, but thank God I don't abuse my family. I've never hit my kids or my spouse. I may struggle with lust occasionally. I've struggled with porn on and off, but thank God I have never and I will never cheat on my spouse. I may occasionally overdrink, but it's not a problem. I may sleep with my fiance, but God knows the struggle, and he knows that we're going to make it right. We're getting married. He knows that we're going to make it right. I'm not just casually sleeping around. I'm not being trashy about it. This is special. And I may struggle with gluttony sometimes, but it's not like I'm an addict. There's also those in the room who time has separated us possibly from the more weighty of sins that we would measure. Time has removed a sinful lifestyle from us. A long time ago, I was an unbeliever, an atheist. A long time ago, I was involved in witchcraft. A long time ago, I was a drug addict. A long time ago, man, I was a partier and I got around a long time ago. And in this story, what I want to do is that I want to go through and talk about her posture of gratitude to unpack the story a bit and see her posture of gratitude in response to the grace that had been poured out to her. And so if you're taking notes, I have five points in the posture of gratitude that I want to unpack, but I'm also going to align that with the five points of the Romans Road. And if you're unfamiliar with the Romans Road, Paul wrote the book of Romans, and it really outlines salvation. And there are five points to the Romans Road, which is really like a how-to guide on leading to salvation. Whether it's for you or you wanted to lead someone else to the Lord, there's five verses on the Romans road and I'm going to unpack that with her five um, postures of gratitude. 
and line it up with the Romans road. The first point that I want to unpack is that she is honest. This woman is honest. Um, Luke 7.36 says, The one of the Pharisees invited him to eat with him, and he entered the Pharisee's house, and, rec- and, she re- and he reclined at the table. And a woman in town who was a sinner found out that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house. This woman knows that she was a sinner. Could this be the one? I am a sinner, and I need to get to Jesus. The first stop on the Romans road is Romans 3.23 and it says that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of us is a sinner. The word gospel literally means the good news and there is no good news unless if there's bad news. And the bad news is that we're all giant sinners in need of a savior. Our sin has separated us from God. And we are sinners in need of a savior. It says in Romans 3.10 that no one is righteous, that no one is good. And, and whether you uphold all 10 commandments or all of them that are listed, if you just break one of them at one point in your life or you're living in prison for a life sentence of murdering someone, it says in James 2.10, for whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. And sin is a reality that we all need to admit to, come to the understanding that we are a sinner in need of a savior. And Jesus is the solution. She was honest in her position that she is a woman who is a sinner and she just had to get to Jesus. And the next point on this is that she was humble. This woman was humble. She brought an alabaster jar of perfume and stood behind him at his feet, weeping, and began to wash his feet with her tears, and she wiped his feet with her hair, kissing them and anointing them with perfume. You know, the opposite of humble is, or humility is prideful, and we have a, we would identify pride if you were to like describe what it looked like. It would be someone who's haughty or arrogant, a little bit more self-confident, and And um, I think in our own pride, because of our pride, we literally can't see our own pride. Because who, me? I don't struggle with that. Our own pride gets in the way. And, And as we read that picture, it's clear. We can clearly see a humble posture before Jesus. Jesus sitting there, and she is at his feet, his muddy feet, worshiping, crying and weeping and cleaning his feet. It looks humble cleaning his dirty, dusty feet. It's a humble posture. But I would like to present to you that I'm pretty sure that her posture of humility wasn't, didn't start at her position at the feet of Jesus, but it happened over here when she had to take her first step from the crowd to get one step closer to Jesus. The people that were lined up right on the outside I'm wondering what they were saying about her, thinking about her, and she had to take one step to get closer to Jesus. I wonder if she had a game plan for the day. Did she, was she planning on that? And, and as I think about I remember a time in my life that um, it is one of the most 
um, I'm not sure the right word to use for it, formational, foundational times of my life. There's an, a moment and an encounter I had with the Lord, and I was about 14 or 15 years old. And the youngness of my age, I don't want that to not land on anyone. Oh, that's, you're just a kid. I want you to stick with me here. And it was such a moment that the Lord, it's marked my life, and I'm different since that day. And um, I had recently come out at this time of a time of living in drugs and a really sinful lifestyle, all of the things that I was involved in. And I had given my life to Christ. And um, I was still walking through the process of sanctification. I did not always look like a Christian. I was out of drugs. I was out of certain lifestyle. But I did not sound like a Christian And at this time, as though I've given my life to the Lord, at this time in my life, I'm a much, I'm a timid girl. I am shy. I am quiet. I don't want anybody to look at me. I don't want any attention on me. I'm very reserved. Um, And at this time, I'm going back to the 90s now. There was a time in some of the churches in Western New York, there was a time of renewal, and I was at a worship service at the tabernacle. I'm not sure if any of you guys were around during the time of renewal at the tabernacle in the 90s. And there, God was moving in a really... Uh, a sweet way. He was changing lives and, and I was going to it. I was drawn to it. The presence of God was there. And um, it was long worship services and I am not an expressive worshiper at this time. And But you know when you're in the service and like God is moving and you're like, there's something in your body that knows you're like, you're supposed you're supposed to be like putting your hand, I was like trying to fight it, like, nope, that's not me, but there's something that's like, you're supposed to be like putting it up just a little bit, but I didn't want any, nope, that's not me, and I'd like, what's happening to these things, and put them down, and I'm, I'm at this worship service, just sit, really just in the presence of God, and, um, and I'm, praying, I'm confessing something, something to the Lord and I'm repenting. And I wanted the Lord to change my, the words that were coming out of my mouth. And I was confessing the, the language that I was using, the cursing that I was using, the jokes that I was saying, the conversation that I was a part of, the gossip I participated in. And every day that I went to this time of renewal, I was making the commitment, today, God, Today is the day that my life, my words are going to change. I know that I said it yesterday. Have you guys ever been there? You're like, but today, today is the day that I really mean it. I'm going to sound like a Christian. Today is the day that I'm really repenting. I thought it was yesterday, but maybe it's today. And I'm going in another direction. I'm going in another direction. God, would you help me? I'm not going to do this anymore. And as I'm also having this dilemma about like, I I don't want anyone to watch me. And I also have some of my friends who kind of lived the lifestyle that I was living, kind of one foot, we've given our life to Christ, but we're still kind of, it didn't really match up. And, And the Lord is moving on my heart. And I can remember thinking, and some of the times that I would like force my hands back down because I was worried about 
the, the things that were going through my mind is like, what if I were to like put my hands up in, my, in the air and my friends who I live this lifestyle with, what if they would be like, yo, what's happening to Beth over, over here? Are they going to like ask me at the end of the worship service and then be like, so Beth, like what's, what's going on? Like, are you, are we good? Are are you like, are you, are you different? And I was, my youth pastor was there with us a lot and he was with me through the ups and downs and drugs and all of, all of the other things. And he was there and I was worried that like, if I gave it a little bit more, if I was a tad more expressive in my worship, if, if my youth pastor would be like, so Beth, I see that like God was moving now, this is all imagined in my head. Am I, am I the only person who has ever thought these things? And you're like, my youth pastor is there. Is he going to be like, so Beth, I know we've walked through some things. I, but is like today the day? Like, was, his presence was great today. And I, I didn't want to, like, withholding. And then it was really bad if my parents were there. You know, my parents who had lived with me through this. And their greatest desire is that their children would walk with the Lord. And I could only imagine that if I would gave it a little bit more in worship, if my parents would be in the car and be like, so... I see that like God was moving on your heart during worship. Is was is this the di- like are you different? Like is your is tomorrow going to be better? Like are you different now he met you, didn't he? Th- this is what I'm thinking about as my friends are there watching and as I'm also making a commitment that today is the day I'm different. Today is the day I'm really going to give it all to you. And I have such a defining memory. It was a moment that marked my life. And I was standing there, and it's not that it was audible, but I can remember Jesus saying to me, Beth, you are never going to have the strength to say no to things until you say yes to the thing that I have already called you to. And right now in this moment, I want you to worship me. I want you to lift up holy hands and worship me. Doesn't matter what your friends say. It doesn't matter what your youth pastor will say or what your parents will say. You are never going to have the strength to say no to those things if you don't first start saying yes to the thing that I have called you. No, I'm not sharing this because I'm telling all of you guys you're supposed to be putting your hands up in the air. But he was after my heart in that moment. And I had to acknowledge that I was embarrassed to put my hands up in worship of the Lord. I had pride. Pride was getting in the way of me taking my next step with Jesus I had to choose humility in that moment. I had to humble myself. And I can remember the moment that I stepped to the side because I didn't want my elbow to touch the person next to me when my arm went up. (laughs) And I lifted up holy hands in worship of the Lord. That moment marked and changed my life forever. And I would say that her humble position here didn't just start right there, but her first step of humility started when she was over on the sidelines surrounded by people who know her sin, who know what she has done, who know what she'll probably look like the next day. 
Were there murmurs? Were there whispers? Were there people going to ask her questions after the dinner and say, what were you thinking? What's happening? What, what, what's going on? But the moment that she lifted up her foot because she said, is this Jesus? Could he be the one? I have to just get one step closer. Do we have a posture of humility before the Lord that it doesn't matter what person next to you, your spouse, your parents, the leader around you, whatever they may say, but the posture of that first foot of I just have to get one step closer to Jesus. She was humble. She had no pride. She was probably full of embarrassment, but it didn't matter because she had to get one step closer to Jesus. Stop two of the Romans road is that Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrated his love towards us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We have a habit of thinking that we have to get our life right, our life perfect. We have to clean it up. We have to stop saying the curse words. We have to stop doing all of the things in order to come to Jesus. But he says, come to me. He demonstrated his love towards us that he died for us while we were still sinners. We can come to him humbly because of what Christ has done for us. The next posture is that she is heartfelt. She's heartfelt. Verse 38 says, And stood behind him at his feet, weeping, and began to wash his feet with her tears. And she wiped his feet with her hair, kissing them and anointing them with the perfume. That bottle of perfume was costly, and she broke it. She poured it out. And your worship will cost you something, church. Your worship will cost you something. She was heartfelt. She let it all out. I genuinely think that Jesus wants a heartfelt response from us. I know that when we first say yes to Jesus, that that flame, that passion is burning bright. You're like, yes, and you're excited about Jesus. You're excited about talking about Jesus. But can I just be honest with you that sometimes the longer you follow Jesus, that there is a a steadiness and a consistency that kind of happens that we just kind of settle into sometimes as Christ followers. Like when we're married, You know, you could be married for 10 years, 15, 20, 25, 30, whatever it may be, and you're still good. I'm not talking about that you're like, it's getting cold and I want a divorce. I want out. You're like, no, we're good. We're steady. We're consistent. I don't want anybody else. I'm happy with my marriage. I'm happy with what we got. I'm never leaving. Like, this is my ride or die forever. Like, we're in it. But there's like a a consistency that sometimes settles into our marriage and there's not as much passion. It's not as heartfelt. That flame isn't burning as bright. And I genuinely believe God, from the beginning of time, the creator God created us with emotions. And it's not that I'm saying that every time we have an encounter with Jesus that we're supposed to be sobbing and weeping and and blowing tissues and all of that. But I think that Jesus wants a heartfelt response from his people. Let him... He wants to know how much you love him. He wants friendship with us. He wants relationship with us. He wants our passion and our light to burn bright for the world to see. Let the world see why we love Jesus. But I think sometimes churches are filled with people who, they're steady, they're consistent, but their passion, their flame, their heartfelt response to Jesus has grown cold. It's got lukewarm. It's a bit 
tepid. And we see that she is heartfelt. Stop three of the Romans road says, Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gracious gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We get used to the gracious gift of God. I'm not only thankful for the grace that saved me all of those years ago, but I am so thankful for the grace that he pours out on me time and time and time again. His grace and his mercy and his forgiveness. I literally cannot live without Jesus. And we get used to the grace that has been poured out on him. We take advantage of his grace. But that we would be heartfelt in our response to Jesus. He has given us a gift. Salvation with Jesus Christ and an eternal life with him. The fourth point is that she is honoring. She is honoring. She brought an alabaster jar of perfume And stood behind him at his feet, weeping, and began to wash his feet with her tears. She wiped his feet with her hair, kissing them and anointing them with perfume. Picturing her as, like, does she have a realization? Because he has yet to die and, and rise from the dead. So he's not the risen king yet. But is there something in her spirit as she's heard about him and she has made her way? Does she have a realization of, could this be the one? Am I at the feet of God right now? And Jesus acknowledges the lack of honor that the Pharisee gives to Jesus. Verse 44, it says, turning to the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but with her tears has washed my feet and wiped them with her hair. And you gave me no kiss, But she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in, and you didn't anoint my head with olive oil, but she has anointed my feet with perfume. There were honoring customs that the Pharisee had skipped over on the guest that he invited into into his house. Maybe it was his pride. I'm not sure what it is. Maybe it was the comfortability of his own house. I'm not sure what it is. But Jesus highlights the lack of honor of what the Pharisee did to Jesus and highlights the honor that she had given him. And I'm I'm wondering as I'm reading this and evaluating, how have I honored God with my life? In my years of following him and serving him, did I get too comfortable with him? Do I lose sight of the fact that Jesus right now is seated on the right hand of the Father on a throne in heaven where angels are surrounding his throne right now singing holy, 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 and they haven't stopped. They're getting a new look of him every time and bringing him honor. He is Lord of lords, King of kings. He's been around since the foundations of the earth and before that, he is God. He is holy. He is more powerful, more amazing, more awesome, and more majestic than I can ever grasp or comprehend. And I'm just casual with him sometimes because I know him as my best friend. But Jesus, maker of heaven and earth, who chooses to have relationship with me, have I brought honor to the Lord? Do I bring honor to Jesus with my body? Do I bring honor to Jesus with the words that I speak? Do I bring honor to Jesus with the worship that I lift up? 
Do I bring honor to Jesus with the way that I spend my time? Do I bring honor to Jesus? Stop four of the Romans road says, Romans 10, nine, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, it's not just that you confess with your mouth that Jesus is your best friend. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is your savior, that that's that. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, it acknowledges the lordship of Jesus Christ. Lord and master, that I have surrendered my life to the Lord, that he is the boss of me and not of me. I am no, I'm no longer the boss. I've given my life to him and I will live an honoring life to the Lord. I will give him honor. And the last point is that she is made whole. I wish it started with an H, but it sounds like an H, but I'm just going to go with it. Last point is that she is made whole, verse 50. And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Stop five of the Romans roads in 8.1 says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. She was honest and identified that she was a sinner in need of a savior. And she went to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lord. And Jesus offered forgiveness to her offered her forgiveness and because of her faith he saved her and he said go in peace she was made whole and the gift of God that he had given her was his perfect peace there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus we don't have to be weighed down by the weight of shame from our sin but we can still be full of gratitude because of what Jesus did for our sin he's made us whole. I started out by saying that there are three main characters in this story. A Pharisee who's a sinner. A sinner and a savior. And there may be some in the room today who have never surrendered their life to Jesus Christ. You've never been honest with yourself and said, I need a savior. Maybe that's you today. Maybe today is the day that you're gonna come face to face with Jesus and surrender your life to him. I believe if I were to ask all of the Christ followers in here, who, as you're reading it, maybe who you would identify with. I know that the point of scripture is not to find yourself in it, it's to find Jesus in scripture and find out what God has revealed. But as we're reading along, I think if I were to ask all of the Christians, everyone would be like, I'm the sinner. I don't know if I've ever been in a setting where if I were to say, raise your hands, all you Pharisees. If anyone would raise their hand right now. And whether it's been me at times in my life or I've been in conversations with people, there are moments where we go, oh, oh my gosh. That's, that's me. I'm, I am or I, I was the Pharisee in that passage and if I can be honest with you that the longer that I follow Jesus the more I realize how easy it is to become a Pharisee and I don't want you to to think that a Pharisee is a religious leader and I don't have a, a title at a ministry today right now so I can't be I'm not a religious leader in the church right now so I can't be a Pharisee I don't want you to convince yourself that you can't be is that me 
is that me? I don't want you to miss this moment of what maybe God wants to do. But the longer I have followed Jesus, I realize how easy it is to become a Pharisee. I've seen it in my own life. I've had to be brought to my knees and repent. But I have a part of my heart that I have a little bit of compassion. I think that's the right word. For when I read about the Pharisees, they want, they studied and they knew the word of God. They knew it all. They were living their life literally to find the Messiah. They're waiting for him. And they missed him. He was right in front of their face. They knew everything about the word of God. And in my own desire to love God, and I, I love the word of God. I, I try to pass it on to everyone that I meet. I want them to know that the Bible is the most amazing book ever written. I say it to our two-year-olds and our kids like, this is God's word. Do you want to touch my Bible? It's the most amazing book ever written. I want people to fall in love with the word of God. And in my desire to want to know Jesus more and to know his word more, how many times has Jesus been right in front of my face and I've missed him? Because I haven't been heartfelt. I haven't been honoring. I haven't been honest. I've lied to myself and convinced myself that I don't have this sin issue. It's not as bad as this other person's thing. How often and how easy it is me for this person standing here that I, I am the Pharisee standing in this story. I don't want that for us. I haven't been honest. I've lied about the condition of my heart. I've been blinded to it, not even knowing I was lying about it. I haven't been humble. I have been pride. My pride has gotten in the way. I haven't been heartfelt. My relationship with the Lord has grown cold, stale, tepid, lukewarm. I haven't been honoring to Jesus and my comfortability with him. I've gotten a tad too casual with Jesus. Is that you? Do we have the reality of our sins forgiven past and what he's still doing today? Does our heart beat and our blood flow for devotion to Jesus Christ because he graciously poured out forgiveness for us? This woman stands as a striking example of what it means to love Jesus and to pour out our gratitude to Jesus in honesty, humility, heartfelt, honoring worship to Christ alone. But the most important character in this story is not the Pharisee, it is not the sinner. The most important character in all of Scripture is Jesus Christ. They even asked, who is this? Verse 49, those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? He is Jesus, son of God, seated at the throne, who left heaven to live a sinless and perfect life and pay the price of our sin. He went to the cross and he died and he rose three days later. He saw that we had a sin problem that separated us from God and he loved us so much and he wanted to spend forever and eternity with us. I can't believe he wants to spend time with me. 
And he came up with a plan to fix our sin problem. He came up with a plan to fix our friendship with God. And he paid the price. That is who Jesus is. He offers forgiveness. He wants relationship with us. He paid the price and he's the same God who says, therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He's the, God, he's the God who dines at tables with Pharisees, sits close with them. He says, come on. And he's the same God who says to the woman sinner, come on, come close. He comes close to both of us and he offers forgiveness. Can we pray? Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for how you are moving in this place today. God, I thank you for conviction. Thank you for convicting my heart. Maybe you're here today and you have, you're reading this and you're hearing it and you can see the story of the woman who is a sinner in need of a savior and you have never gone to Jesus before and you know today that you are a sinner in need of a savior. Maybe today is the day, if that's you, doesn't matter who's next to you. Maybe the question of who, are they gonna see you raise your hand? I want you to put that away. Is today the day that you're gonna be honest and surrender your life to Jesus Christ? If that's you, would you put your hand up? Today is the day that you're gonna surrender your life to Jesus Christ. I see that hand, I see that hand. If that's you, if you're ready to surrender your life to Jesus Christ, would you say this with me? Jesus, I know that I am a sinner in need of a savior. I believe that you are the son of God. I believe that you lived a sinless life, that you died on the cross and rose three days later. Today, in front of this church and in front of you, I confess you as my Lord and my Savior. Jesus, would you forgive me of my sins? Holy Spirit, would you come and live inside of me and help me to live a life that honors God? I give my life to you. I am now yours. And maybe before we close, maybe you realize that you have also been the Pharisee in the story as well. I don't want to live, I don't want to leave today without the opportunity of just repenting before the Lord. Holy Spirit, I give you permission to reveal to me and convict me all of the areas of my life that I've been more like a Pharisee. God, would you help me to be honest? Reveal to me the areas that I've lied about my own sin. God, would you help me to be heartfelt? Would you fan the flame of my relationship with you? Would you help me to bring honor to you? God, thank you for your grace. I'm so grateful for your grace. Amen and amen. amen.